So this morning I want to speak on a topic that, quite honestly, I battled a little bit this week. And typically when I battle a message, that's typically the one I need to preach. And um, because it's just kind of a fight in my spirit. And, and so the, the, I titled this message this morning, um, Is Heaven Really for You? Is heaven really for you? And maybe you can see why I battled this a little bit. To ask a question like that is kind of a strange question to ask. But I want to take some time this morning to unpack it a little bit and hopefully answer the question. It may seem like a strange question to ask a person because the most obvious and immediate answer that if you walk on the street... Our, in our society and ask people, are you going to heaven? Most of them are going to say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to heaven. I mean, that's the obvious question. Who in here doesn't want to go to heaven? No hands. Well, good. Good. I'm glad. Otherwise, we'd have a problem. <laughs> um, but yet, do we really understand what it means when we say we want to go to heaven? And I want to talk about some things this morning that will hopefully be a good challenge for us certainly is a good challenge for me. So I look at these kind of things, and I look at it as if it challenges me, then I hope that it challenges you, and, and I hope it doesn't offend you in any way, shape, or form. But I want to talk this morning about what does it mean to go to heaven, and what does Scripture say in regards to how we are to live in regards to our going to heaven. Our text today is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And you might recognize this as a very... Uh, a very common mess, a very common passage, but it says this: "This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." This is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Do we really understand the significance of that sentence in the Lord's prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, it's much more than just the opening of the prayer. It's much more than Jesus having to say something to get the prayer started, so that's what he said. You see, it's setting the stage, really, for not only the rest of the prayer, but in all honesty, it's setting the stage for the life of Jesus while he walked this earth. Jesus was on a mission while he was here, and his mission is told to us in John chapter 8. Let's read that. John chapter 8, verse 27 to 29, starts off saying, They did not understand that he was telling them about his Father. So, whoever Jesus is speaking to here, they were, like us, many ways, not understanding of what the Father's all about. You're not the only one, maybe, that doesn't get what God's all about. So Jesus said, continuing in 28, so Jesus said, when you, had lifted, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, basically, when you crucify me, then you will know that I am he, and that, here's the important part, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. That's Jesus' life. That was his mission on earth, was to please his Father. And he did everything that the Father told him to do, and he didn't do anything unless he heard from the Father first. Jesus wasn't down here on his own agenda. 
He wasn't down here as a, as a, on his own um, thought process, his own idea of what he was going to do when, when he got down here. He had a very good plan when he got down to earth, and his plan was to follow his father. That's what his plan was. And it says he practiced what his plan was, then his end was fulfilled. So that brings me some challenge. Because if I'm calling myself a Christian, if I'm saying that I'm Christ-like, that's what a Christian means, a little Christ, I'm Christ-like, then shouldn't I also have Jesus' model as my model? Shouldn't I also be busy doing what the God the Father in heaven is asking us to do as well? Shouldn't that be my role in life? Shouldn't we be modeling our earthly life after what our life in heaven will be like? What happens when we are young really impacts what happens when we're older. And I see things this morning, even around what I saw this morning. I see the little children over here playing and worshiping and flying flags and all that stuff. And I see Bonnie doing flags over here. and And see, what's happening is these little kids are learning how to worship God, not just sitting in a pew falling asleep. Now, nothing wrong with having falling asleep in a pew. I'm not talking about you, Lawrence. I'm talking about kids fall. I'm talking about kids falling asleep because when I grew up, I, fe- I fell asleep a lot on the pew of a church. But you know, maybe it would have been better off if I would have been up dancing, flag, waving a flag. Maybe, 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 maybe some of us else, older people, would have been better off if we would have ta- taught how to wave a flag when I was five, six, seven years old, instead of just falling asleep on a pew. So I'm just saying that we become what we are throughout our life. Not just, we just don't end up being what we are at the end. No, it's a process of living, and Jesus was that teacher of that process of living. Look at nature, baby lions. You ever watch the Nature Channel? I love watching Nature Channels and stuff. And little lions and little bear cubs and stuff, what are they doing when they're younger? They're wrestling and they're playing, and they're fighting, and they're, you know, whacking at each other with their claws, and they're biting each other. What are they doing? They're teaching themselves how to hunt. They're teaching themselves how to, how to defend themselves. And that's what they do. That's how we grow up. So it is with our Christian life. Are we, and here's the question, are we learning what it means to spend eternity in heaven by our life on earth? So my question is, is heaven really for you? By by the way you're living your life right now, are you modeling yourself after heaven? Tough questions. Understand that heaven is not our default destination, first of all. We all have a choice in the matter. No one is going to make it to heaven by mistake. No, you get to heaven only by a conscious choice and a decision to get to heaven. It's not a mistake that you're there. So the life that we're living... Is it preparing us for our eternal destination? You know, I'm asking these questions that I hope that you'll ask these questions of yourself because I'm certainly not saying that you're not doing this. So I want you to understand right now, I'm not judging anybody. I'm not saying that you are. I'm not saying that you're not. I'm just asking the questions because I have to ask the questions of myself as well. So that's what I'm doing. So let's, first of all, what is heaven like? If we're going to know what, how to prepare ourselves here for heaven, what is, what is heaven like? 
What is it? Well, that's a good question, and quite honestly, it's going to take a lot more time than what we have today to talk about it. So we're just going to highlight it a little bit. First of all, heaven is defined as the place that God dwells. Psalms chapter 33, verse 13 and 14 says, From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. So heaven is where God is. Wherever God is, is defined as heaven. Aren't they having fun out there? That's so awesome to hear the kids having fun. I, I love it. I hope that doesn't distract you. If it does, just turn your ears on. Right, Vicki? All right. If God is in heaven, that must mean his presence is in heaven. And when I look at God's presence... Do I, am I guilty sometimes of making it so trivial and nonchalant to say that I'm in the presence of God? What does it really mean to be in the presence of God? See, I think if we have a correct perspective of God, then to be in God's presence is totally invasive. No man can stand up under the presence of God and not be changed. No man can crawl into the presence of God and not be changed. No man can can see the presence of God and not have a significant impact on their life. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 tells us how we are to come into the presence of God. It says, Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers and the true worshipers will worship the Father in, the, in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of wor- worshipers the Father speaks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. See, God is seeking a certain type of person. He's seeking a person that is a truthful person, that is an authentic person, that is an honest person. God is not about just flattery. He doesn't want just to be thrown a toss of the hand and say, Hey, God, how are you? Glad to know you're here. That's not what God's looking for. God is working, looking for true worshipers that do kind of what we did this morning, I believe. There was some really good true worshiping going on this morning that I believe God said, yes, that's the kind of people I'm seeking. That's the kind of people I'm seeking after, those that give me true worship in spirit and in truth. He's not looking for someone that gives him a false witness in untruth. So can I ask you again, as we look at our life today, preparing ourselves for heaven, If that's what heaven's going to be about, is heaven really for you? Is it really? Can we appreciate what it means to be in the presence of God? Moses, we're we're told in the Bible, was one of the few men that that was able to be in the presence of God and live. Exodus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. This is Moses when he was coming up to the burning bush. It says, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses had an immediate reaction when he recognized the presence of who he was in presence of. He no longer could be just Moses. He hid his face, and I'm sure he fell on the ground, and I'm sure he had, he, his body did other contortions because you can't be in the presence of God and be yourself. I just don't see how that can happen. So the entire countenance of Moses changed instantly when he realized that he was in the presence of God. 
You couldn't be the same. The presence of God requires a change of posture. It caused him to hide his eyes. It caused him to turn his... He could not look at God. And God's presence is certainly not a casual encounter. It's not something that we can do and not be changed. We see another example of Moses um, in the presence of God and what it, the purpose of the presence of God as Moses was a number of years later now, go to Exodus chapter 33, 30 chapters down in the same book. And here's another discussion between God and Moses. Let's listen in to see what God said. Beginning at verse 12, it said, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. It was the presence of God that led the Israelites through the desert experience. The presence of God would come to them by a cloud in a day and pillar fo- a pillar of fire by night. And when the cloud moved or the fire moved, the Israelites moved. But until they, until one of those moved, they didn't move because they were being led by the presence of God. See, Moses was taught by God to seek his presence as a way of leading his people. What does that tell us today? Who's leading your life? Who's leading my life? Are we seeking the presence of God as the way of being led through our life and preparation for a life of eternity in heaven in the presence of God? Do we seek being in the presence of God today, or does that make you a little uncomfortable? You see, sometimes when the presence of God starts moving in a church, we have one of two types of people ha- things happening. We have some that just enter in and love it and are just abandoning themselves in the presence of God. And others are making their way to the exit as fast as they can because they just can't handle being in the presence of God. Now, some of that may be conviction. Some of that may be the presence of, ho- of a holy God saying, there's sin in your life, and I need, you're either going to react to that one way or the other. You're either going to fall on your face and say, forgive me, Jesus, Forgive me, make me holy, make me righteous so that I can be in the presence of God or that same conviction might make you run out the door. It's your choice. It's your choice, but there's going to be a change in your life when the presence of God falls on your life. You're not going to be the same. You're either going to reject them or you're going to receive them. So the question is, is heaven really for you? Is it really? So the point of this message is, is that a person that's planning to be in the presence of God for all eternity should be preparing themselves today while they're on earth for that. And if we're uncomfortable doing that, then this should be a good warning sign to you that maybe you're not on the right path. Maybe there's something in your life that should be changing a little bit if you're not comfortable being in the presence of God. If you're not comfortable seeking Him, maybe there should be a big warning flag coming up and say, maybe I'm not on the right road. You see, if I'm going to go to Traverse City, I know that somewhere between here and Traverse City, I'm going to run through Elk Rapids. 
But if I'm driving down the car and I find myself in Horton Bay, oh, I'm not going on to Traverse City. There should be something there about Horton Bay that should give me a warning to say, ah, oh, maybe I took the wrong turn someplace. Maybe I better go back. And if, I, if I'm not finding myself through Elk Rapids, then I'm not on the way to Traverse City. So this morning, if you're not comfortable in the presence of the Lord, then maybe you're not on the right road. Maybe you need to turn your life around and say, God, I'm not comfortable here, so how do I get there? How do I get comfortable in your presence? Because I want to make sure that my eternity is in heaven. Therefore, I need to get comfortable right now in your presence. I need to. So therefore, maybe I better do some things in my life. Maybe I better take care of some sin. Maybe there's something in my life that's keeping me from you. Maybe there's a hindrance in my life somewhere, some way. Would you help me? Would you search me, oh God, and know my heart? Would you test me and know my anxious thoughts? Would you lead me in a way of everlasting? Would you do that, Jesus? See, that's, that's the way to pray. If you're uncomfortable in the presence of God, don't feel condemned. Condemnation comes from the devil. Condemnation is a general sense of foreboding from the devil to say you're hopeless and there's nothing that you can do to be right with God. That's not from God. That's from the devil. The Holy Spirit brings very pointed conviction with a very specific purpose in mind as a, as a sword, not as a club. The devil clubs. The Holy Spirit convicts with a sword that points out something in your life that needs to change. And now your choice is, am I going to change? Or am I going to ignore that? What road are you on? So what are we going to be doing in heaven? There are, here are some things that will occupy our time in heaven. We will worship without distraction. Meaning that our focus will be continually on worship. No matter what's going on in my life, in heaven, I will focus on worship continuously. Now, does that mean that we're going to be in one eternal church service? Man, I hope not. And the answer is no, you're not going to be in one eternal worship service. There's going to be so many things that are going to occupy your time in heaven that you are just going to be over overawed with the complexity and with the intensity and with the things to do in heaven. It's going to be like going to Disney World on steroids. I'm telling you, it's just going to be amazing. But you're going to have a continuous presence of the Lord in worship while you're doing everything you do. Everything you do is going to be in worship. So this morning, how do we apply that little bit to our lives today? Are we going through our life right now worshiping without distraction? Or are things distracting us in our worship? Is my life distracting me in my worship? Is my job distracting me in my worship? Is my schooling distracting me in my worship? Is my boyfriend and my girlfriend distracting me with my worship? Guys, there's a whole other message to be preached here on equally yoking. And that's something else that we'll talk about later. But let me tell you, young person, if the young person that you're dating is distracting you from worship, change it. Do not yoke yourself to someone that doesn't worship and doesn't seek God the way you do. Don't yoke yourself to someone like that because you're not going to change them later. What you're going to do is cause yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of grief. So I say that in all love and sincerity and honesty, do not yoke yourself with someone that is distracting you from worshiping the Lord. Number second thing we're going to be doing, we're going to be serving without exhaustion. 
We will be serving God as a result of the rewards we have on earth. Now, some people don't like that. Some people say, I don't want to work when I get to heaven. Do you know that work and God just go hand in hand? Do you know that God is work and, and work is God? See, work only becomes bad when the devil gets involved with it because he makes it hard. But God is all about work. God is all about being busy in the kingdom. And so when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to serve him endlessly without exhaustion. So now today, where are you? Where's your emphasis on work today? Are you willing and able to work in the kingdom today? Getting used to what it's going to be like to work it for him in the kingdom? What's your attitude when it comes to working around the church, for example? What's your attitude for volunteering for a mission project? What's your attitude when it comes to teaching Sunday school, working in a nursery, being a children's church worker? What's your attitude about that? Is that something that somebody else is supposed to do? Or is that something that I want to start getting used to working in the kingdom? Because I know I'm going to be doing that for all eternity, so I want to start now. I want to get used to it now. So I have a volunteer attitude because I want to get used to working in the kingdom. The question is, is heaven really for you? Another thing we're going to be doing is fellowshipping without fear, fellowshipping without excuse. We will be with the God's people forever and ever and ever, so you better get used to it. You're going to be with other Christians forever and ever and ever, so you better start getting with them now and liking it. <laughs> that doesn't mean we're going to be like everybody. It just means that we better be comfortable being around other Christians. You better be comfortable being, being around like-minded people. If you're uncomfortable being around a church setting, if you're uncomfortable associating with Christians on the job, if you're uncomfortable, high school kids and college kids, with being with Christians on campus, what road are you on? What road are you on? See, if you're not comfortable associating with godly people, you're not going to be comfortable in heaven because that's all that's going to be there is godly people. So it's a warning. It's a good measurement. Who are my friends? Who are my closest acquaintances? Who's my BFF? That's a slang. That's a for best friend forever, in case somebody doesn't know. In case you're not up on Twitter or Google or texting. BFF, who's your best friend forever? Yeah, Jesus and people like him. Jesus and people like him. Because you see a lot more people like him than you see Jesus. So you don't see Jesus every day walking downtown. You just don't see him. But you see people. And we're to love people. And so who's your BFF? It better be somebody that also loves Jesus. Don't get tied in with somebody that's not doing that. Because once your emotions get tied in, all of a sudden now you have a hard time making your good, solid decisions. Once your emotions get tied in, and if he's not leading, if he's not leading you in the right path, or she's not, then make a change. Here's another thing that we're going to be doing in heaven. We're going to be learning without fatigue. Do you know that heaven, we are going to be constantly learning? Some people believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to know everything God knows. That's not true. We'll never know everything God knows. I don't care how long we're in heaven, we're going to be constantly learning of the goodness and the mercies of God. He's going to constantly amaze us of who he is. We're going to be on a constant learning curve. So where are we today? Are you a teachable person? 
Are you willing to come into a Bible study and be taught things that you don't know? Are you interested? Are you hungry for the Word of God? Are you hungry for knowledge? Are you hungry for God inspiration? Or are you comfortable in your own little world that you think you got it figured out and nobody needs to tell me anything because I've been a Christian for 50 years. And I'm there. I've arrived. Well, can I tell you, you're not on the right road because you're going to be learning without fatigue in heaven. You're going to be learning more and more and more and more and we're never going to be exhausted in our learning. So don't get tired of it now. We're just starting. You're just starting to learn of the goodness of the Lord and other things. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This couple verses are, are, are my life verses. And it says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Every day, I better be learning. I want to know more about God today than I did yesterday. That's why I like to read books. I like to read God's Word. I like to read good Bible books, good study guides, because it gives me more of the knowledge of God. It's preparing me for my life and eternity of heaven so that I will know how to learn. When I was in college, I'm an electrical engineer. I'm not being an electrical engineer right now. What it taught me, what college taught me, was one major thing. It taught me how to learn. It taught me how to take up a book, take up a concept that I didn't understand, and read through the book myself, or more importantly, get with other people that knew more than I did and let them teach me. And it taught me how to learn new ideas, new concepts. Amen. What's the best part of heaven? The best part. What's the best part of heaven? The best part of heaven will be seeing Jesus face to face. When we finally look on his face and seeing him there as our king and our savior, that's going to be awesome. And, if, and if, if, if that excites you, if that gets a little bit of a bubble in your heart, then let me just tell you, you're on the right road. But if it doesn't excite you, can I tell you you're in Horton Bay? <laughs> Nothing against Horton Bay, Robin. Nothing against Horton Bay. <laughs> You're just supposed to be in Elk Rapids because you're supposed to be going to Traverse City. I hope that somehow today we're challenging you with this concept because, you know, there's nothing in God's word that God says that he's ever pleased with a half-hearted approach. Just so you know, if you're not sold out for Jesus, I mean, if you're not sold out for the kingdom of God, can I ask you to look at what road you're on? Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that is not saying that you are perfect in your actions. Nobody can be perfect in your actions. But I can be perfect in my heart. I can be perfect in my attitude. I can be perfect in my perfection of wanting to know God more and more and more. So this morning, that's what we need to do. We need to be perfect in our seeking God. And you can search the Scriptures for yourself but you will never find a scripture that says he's happy with a half-hearted approach. Ever. Ever. First Chronicles, David told his son Solomon that you have to serve God with a wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. 
If you seek him, you will be found by him. But if you forsake him, Solomon, he will reject you forever. That's David talking to his son. Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. While the day is day, call on him. Do not let time go by while you're not calling on the Lord because this is the time. I want to take the next few minutes and I want to focus on a parable that Jesus taught. Jesus used parables a lot because it taught people how to, the, the principles of the kingdom of God, which maybe they weren't ready or able to receive and I don't think we are sometimes either. So let's read this parable. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. It's up on the screen. You can turn to it in your Bible if you want to, or you can read along with me. But it says this, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf will be butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. There's a lot of truth here in, in this passage of Scripture. Let me try to get through some of it with you. As we look here, we see the king who is God. And he has prepared a wedding feast called heaven. Okay? That's what the wedding feast is symbolizing. And now he has some servants that he has sent out into the world to invite those to the wedding banquet or to heaven. And those servants are me and you. Okay, people. And uh, as we go out and as they go invite people, we see the results and we see the way people are, are, are uh, reacting to the invitation. And we see that it wasn't all good, was it? A lot of the people just ignored it. Some of the people even got more angry. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what's happening in this parable wasn't only happening then, it's still happening today. This parable is very relevant for today's society. Most of those invited were too busy with the things in their personal lives to prepare themselves to attend. Most people were too busy. The parable said that they paid no attention and they went off. One to his field, another to his business. Come on, folks. What are we doing? What are we doing Monday through Saturday? Where's our time? Are we too busy to prepare ourselves for the kingdom? Are we too busy with our own personal interests? Are we too busy chasing the things that maybe are important, but are they that important? 
are the most important. There's going to come a day when we're going to be judged for everything that we're chasing right now, and God's going to say, how important was it, Mike? Really? 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 What's it mean right now? Is heaven really for me? I, I wasn't preparing myself. They found the cares of life too overwhelming, too distracting, and they paid no attention. And then there are those that were invited to the wedding. And this is amazing. I can't even believe that they did this. It sounds outrageous. But they're being asked to attend a party. A good thing. Lots of good food. The fatted calf. Lots of good food. It's going to be an awesome thing, an awesome party. And they got angry with the servants. They roughed them up a little bit. And they even killed them. Now, why would you kill somebody that's only inviting you to a good thing? Why would you do that? They killed the messengers. What do you think Jesus was, was trying to say with that? What do, you, what do you think the point of his parable was? Let's think about this for a minute. What does it mean for us today? How many times, it sounds a little self-serving, but let me say it anyways. How many times have you gone home and had pastor for lunch? How many times have you gone home and all of a sudden you, all you were doing was nitpicking at something that happened in church? The pastor was too long. He spoke too much. He spoke too loud. He yelled too much. He hurt me because he said some things that, you know, maybe brought conviction to me. I don't like that. How many times have you had your Sunday school teacher for dessert? How many times have you chewed on the people of God, the people that are only inviting you to the banquet all they are is the messenger. If the man's teaching from the Bible, that is. If he's a Bible-teaching pastor, understand he's like Jesus. He's only doing what the Father has asked him to do. He's reading and preaching Bible. So why would you kill the messenger? Let's get off that guy. What was the response of the king? to those that rejected. Was the king happy? Did the king just say, oh, I'll just go pick, find somebody else? No. The king was angry. He was enraged. He sent his armies to destroy the murderers and burn their cities. Today's relevance? Ah, could get pretty personal here. How's your home life? How's your finances? How's your business? You see, sometimes we don't recognize God's discipline for what it is. You defame God, and he's not going to take it sitting down. So this morning, I'm not saying anything, but I'm asking you to judge yourself. There are some things in our lives that we need to go back and examine and say, God, why are these things happening? Could it be possibly that I've missed the boat someplace? Could it be possibly that maybe I have shamed you? Could it be possible that I've rejected you? And maybe you're a little upset with me, God. Not because you don't like me, but because you love me so much, you're trying to get my attention, and you're trying to let my cities burn. You're trying to put me under some duress a little bit. Why? Because that's the true blessing, because it's putting, it should put you on your knees. You, get, you, put on, you fall on your face on your knees before the Lord and repent and say, I'm sorry. And he'll put you back in Elk Rapids. And he'll put you on the right road. Wow. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 
You know, it's only because he loves us so much that he does that. See, the devil doesn't love you. <laughs> the devil will just let go down. He'll, he'll put you on the road to Horton Bay. He'll put you there, and he'll keep you there, and he doesn't care where you end up. He doesn't care as long as it's not in Traverse City. I mean, he'll take you to Cadillac. He'll take you to Sault Ste. Marie. He'll take you to all kinds of fun places. In fact, he might even take you to the casinos there. And you'll have all kinds of fun because he doesn't love you. He doesn't care about what road you're on. One more thing that we read in this passage that, needs, that I think needs a little explanation. It says, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there was a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. Now, let's, we need to understand the culture of the day a little bit. What Jesus was saying was that the king didn't come in and just see the man not looking good. He, did, he just didn't have a new suit on, or he didn't look good enough to be with him. What this, mean, what this means is that in that day, when you went to a wedding of a king, the king provided you clothes to wear. But the point is, this man was not wearing the wedding clothes that the king had given him to put on. It wasn't the king didn't give him the clothes. The man chose not to put them on. That's the problem. Because the man had a rebellious heart. The man had a heart to say, God, I don't need what you have given me to be here. I deserve to be here on my own right. Is heaven really for you? Are we really focused in on heaven? Because, see, I'm not going to get to heaven on my own right. The only way I'm going to get to heaven is putting on the garment of praise and putting on the garment of salvation which is through the blood of Christ. He's providing the clothes. He's providing the garment. I need to put it on. There's a choice in the matter here. He's already given it. He's already established it. He's already given me the path. I just have to choose to walk it. And I just choose, and I need to choose to put on the garments so that when he looks at me, he doesn't see Mike in my rebellious, sinful man. He sees a man clothed in the garments of Jesus Christ. Amen. The blood of Christ. The blood of Christ are our clothes. That's our wedding clothes. What was the king's reaction? Was he just a little bit upset? No. See, God is holy. He is holy. Does that, you know what that means? It means that he cannot tolerate sin in the camp at all. I read a book that just challenged me to death. And in the book, it said that 98% holiness and 2% unholiness isn't good enough. No different than if I was to take a cup of coffee and sprinkle in two drops of poison, I wouldn't drink that coffee. I wouldn't take a, a bottle of, of drinking water that says 98% pure and 2% sewage. Would you drink that? No, but yet we're asking God to take that in my life every day. God, I'm 98% holy, and this other stuff over here, will you just not see that? See, that's not going to get you into heaven, folks. I know this is a hard word. Doesn't, this seems hard, but it's the truth. It's the truth of God's word. And if we don't see this, we're going to be disappointed at the end of the day because we're not going to get there because 98% is not enough. Jackie, would you come? And we'll start to close. See, in the parable here, oh, there she is. I thought she left. 
don't leave me like Jack. I was panicking for a minute there. I thought I was going to have to go rip, play, rip to play the drums. <laughs> That's a joke for those that weren't here from a few weeks ago. But this morning, the, this parable is warning us that even though we have all been invited by God for salvation, we must accept the invitation in order to be chosen to spend eternity in heaven. And, and, unfault, and unfortunately, in all honesty, only few are. And the Bible even says it even more, that in the end days, the love of many or most will wax cold. Do you hear that? Some translation says most. The love of most will wax cold. You might have been on fire at one time, but are you, are you stoking it? Are you keeping it? Are you keeping it alive? So this morning, all the things that we talked about, if you can go back through those things, and are they attractive to you? Is worship attractive? Is godly service attractive? Is continuing education in God's word attractive? Is developing relationship through prayer attractive? If, there's a, if those are attractive to you, if those motivate you and challenge you, then you're on the right road. But if there's something there that is not, can I ask you clearly to identify that in your own heart, in your own life, and you make the choice. Are you 100% or are you 98%? Don't go into the wedding with your clothes on. You have to arm yourself. You have to guard yourself. You have to, you have to clothe yourself with the righteousness of God. So this morning, as we close, would you just close your eyes with me this morning? And I just want to read a list of questions this morning. And as your eyes are closed, listen to these questions, and you answer them in your own heart. Is serving Jesus the most important thing in my life? Is spending time with Jesus in prayer a priority in my life? Is spending time reading the Word and other good godly books important to feed my soul? Is listening to good music that calls me to praise Jesus and draw me in His presence, is that important to me? Is it my intention to talk to my friends about Jesus and to share the good news with them? Is my life preparing me for an eternity of heaven? Are my activities and desires consistent with what we anticipate they will be in heaven? Or would it be a drastic change of lifestyle? You see, if, it, if, if I have to change to be in heaven, can I tell you, you're not on the right road. If I have to change what my lifestyle is, I'm not on the right road. Although the gift is free, salvation is free, it costs you nothing for the salvation. Just like that king didn't request any payment for the wedding banquet. It was free, totally free. But it will cost you your sin, your selfishness, and pride. Since none of these character traits are allowed into heaven, those who insist on holding on to these traits cannot enter heaven. But they must be separated 
from God into a place called hell. Therefore, those who go to hell do so voluntarily, preferring hell to a complete submission to a holy and just God. So my question is, is heaven really for you? Is heaven really for you? Now, I'll be very honest. This message has brought such conviction in my heart, it was hard for me to bring it today. Because I know that there are those here that you're on the right road to heaven. I know that. And there are maybe those that aren't. But for those that are, thank Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. For those that aren't, would you, every eye closed, please, and every head bowed. Serious, serious, serious times. I know maybe I give a lot of altar calls, but I'm telling you, it's the most important time of the service right now. Where's your heart? Young person, older folks, where's your heart? Are you on the right road? Are you on the right road? This morning, if you have any question, any question whatsoever, would you take care of it right now? I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been in this church. If there's any question, would you take care of it right now? And this is where it's going to be the hard part for you because it's going to require you to humble yourself. Would you raise your hand high to the ceiling and say, I need help? Would you raise your hand high to the ceiling and say, I need help? I see that hand. Most important question a person could ever ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. That's what, yeah, that's fine. Continuous help. It's, I'm not saying that you're sinners. I'm not saying that at all. Did, you, did anybody hear me say you're a sinner? I said, do we need help? Yeah, amen. Father, we just thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this message. I thank you for the challenge that it brings. I thank you, Lord, for what it means in my life. And I thank you, Lord, that, that I'm constantly monitoring my own activities because I want to make sure that I'm on the right road. And Lord, when I get off the road a little bit, thank you for bringing me back. Thank you for bringing somebody in my life or something in the Word of God that I read or the, the Holy Spirit would come and, and bring that little conviction in my life to say, come on, Mike, let's go. You got to change a little bit here. Thank you for that, Jesus. I am so thankful for that. Amen. For, that, for those people that raised their hand this morning, I thank you for that. I thank you for their honesty. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, devil, you need to know that you have no authority in these lives right now. You have no authority, devil, and you may be there telling these people that what they did wasn't the right thing to do when they raised their hand, but let me tell you, you did the right thing. You did the right thing because you're opening up now a whole new path, a whole new life. And for those that raise your hand because you're continuing to live, they need help, amen. Devil, hear, hear it, devil. You have no authority now. You're on guard, devil, and you are disbanded, and you are... The, the authority is gone in, your, in, in their life because they continue to acknowledge who you are. We're preparing ourselves for heaven because I want to make it so clear and I want people around me to know it so clear that the moment that I die, I don't want people to say, oh, he was a good man. Good people just don't get to heaven. I want people to say he was a godly man. That man stood for Jesus and people knew it. I don't want there to be any question in my life Amen. Let's sing the song. Jackie, lead us in this song, and let's just praise him this morning.
pray if you want to pray, man. now we just come before you and Lord we are just so thankful for the message we're so thankful for your call Lord you've invited us help us to put on the wedding garments throughout this week help us to prepare our hearts and our lives throughout this week that we are preparing ourselves for heaven should, the, should it happen Father should our time be where we, are, we walk into the gates of heaven that our life wouldn't have to change that we would just be walking from one room to the next and be worshiping you as we go in Jesus name Amen. Amen.